Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisloff, editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya, who's our lead author. We sent out another issue of the newsletter yesterday. And on the podcast, we always like to discuss what we found last week in the transcripts that we read. And so starting off with the macro section, we found that the economy still continues to to click. Molis and Co. had an interesting reference to animal spirits, which is always something that comes up later in an economic cycle and certainly seems like is is impacting capital markets. And that is leading to inflation in some sectors, which we continue to see. And specifically, shortages in semiconductors is one area that's having a big impact on the economy. Makaya did a little extra reading on that this week. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's it's a real challenge. I think especially for the auto companies, they are citing it a lot as a point of concern. I think General Motors, I mean, Ford are also saying the same thing, that I think the semiconductors are taking longer to come into their supply chains and that they are a bit constrained. And, and because of that, they are having to slash or stop production. I think the expectation is that the situation would normalize in the second half of the year, maybe as some of the semiconductor manufacturers sort of scale up to match this uh, very high demand. So for my reading, I noticed that when the pandemic hit last year, auto manufacturers cut down on, on their demand for, for semiconductors. And because of that, then the, the guys in the semiconductor industry like Taiwan manufacturing, they also uh, look for alternative areas to take the semiconductors to. And some of the areas were consumer devices, which are which are in very high demand last year. So I think because of that, now that the demand for the cars is back and auto manufacturers want to produce cars, there's not much supply right now. They can't also scale that quickly. Because of that, then it's going to be a tough year, at least the first half of the year for most auto companies to meet the demand that is out there. So I think that's something that you should watch out for. Yeah, I mean, I think to add to that, the auto supply chain has been something that's been really interesting to follow throughout COVID because you know, there were a lot of shutdowns that affected auto supply in March, April last year. And then in May, June, I was actually in the market to get a new car and it was really hard to find any inventory. You know, I was actually, I ended up with a Volkswagen and the factories in Germany had been shut down. The imports to the U.S. were were very, very limited. And so it was clear that it was tough to find a car that you wanted, that supply was low. And obviously the, the auto stocks have rebounded fully, but it was clear even back then that, you know, demand was going to outstrip supply. And now to have semiconductor shortages impacting the auto supply chain is another interesting component. And then along the lines of the auto stuff, there was a quote that you picked up from Mary Barra that was really interesting for future thinking about EVs and just how many EVs are coming to market and Mary Barra talking about potential shortages of, of battery cells for those EVs down the line. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, with a lot more companies now switching to EV, so I think a lot of companies also want to control the supply chain also in terms of how they get the cells for these EV vehicles. So I think that's a very important area to keep watching as it unfolds. And I think traditional legacy companies also rethink their move towards the EV. And so I guess the the important thought here is shortages are what lead to inflation. When demand exceeds supply, obviously pricing power goes back to the producers. And we're seeing a lot of pockets of, of shortages of just supply chain pinches in, in the economy. 
There's very clear commentary about inflation that we keep seeing in a variety of areas. I actually even saw it more in the press last week than had been showing up. And policymakers seem very content not to talk about it at all and are just pushing additional stimulus. And Yellen's quote actually picked up something that policymakers have been saying for a long time, which is we know how to deal with inflation. We don't know how to deal with deflation. It's such a crazy statement that policymakers say that they can, they know how to deal with inflation. Of course, they know how to deal with inflation, but the antidote for inflation is cutting monetary supply, increasing interest rates and throwing the economy into recession. So is that the antidote that they're going to want to apply if inflation comes? I don't know. Why do you think the kind of bifurcation between like the the policymakers and what is on the ground right now? Because as you've seen the past couple of weeks, we've noticed a lot of people commenting on rising inflation, bottlenecks in the supply chain, and a lot of bottlenecks, as you've seen, even in the semiconductor industry. But then the policymakers come out and say, no, we know how to deal with that. So like, why do you think that is the case? I think it's a a two-pronged thing. One, they expect this inflation to be transitory which I think this inflation will be like the industrial inflation will be transitory. If you increase capacity, then all of a sudden you don't have the supply chain constraints. So that's one prong of it, which is true. But the other prong of it is, you know, there's asset price inflation like crazy right now. And no policymaker has been talking about that for 12 years or whenever they started this policy of low interest rates. And yet I think every serious market actor understands that valuations are are totally stretched. 1% interest rates don't actually cover, you know, inflate, you've got negative real interest rates. And this is leading to total distortions in financial markets and huge embedding risk around the economy. And so to answer your question, why are, why are policymakers ignoring this? I think it's convenient for a policymaker to ignore this because asset price inflation feels good while it's going on. And then also, I think they're paying attention to their dual mandate, which is, is employment and price stability. And they're using these very powerful blunt tools in order to stoke employment in a small segment of the economy that's not particularly, you know, monetary policy sensitive or stimulus check sensitive. You give everybody a thousand dollars, that's not necessarily going to mean that restaurants are going to reopen and music venues are going to reopen and stuff. So it it's this weird disconnect that's creating massive distortions in the economy and is Leading to leading to to risk buildup. Definitely, and I think some of the pockets where this is showing up is in the increasing amount of money that is available for SPACs and in the traditional real estate market, where I think we saw something like three hundred billion of equity that is looking for real estate. So because people are chasing for yields and there's attractive financing and there's a very high demand for houses. I think we saw something like homes are sitting in the market for twenty five fewer days last December than the year before. The inventory is low and the demand is pretty high, meaning that their prices are also very high. There is a lot of money chasing for good deals out there. I think it's all a function of an extreme low interest rate environment. And, you know, there's obviously real demand in housing. People definitely are shifting. The Zillow quote that we picked up about the great reshuffling is a really significant demographic shift within the country going on in the US. I don't, I'd be curious to know what's going on in Sweden, but you know, people are recognizing that they can work from anywhere and that the cost of living is much lower in cities that aren't land constrained. And so people are, are moving, like people in my age bracket, I'm 35, like are moving a lot. 
I actually, I had dinner with friends, social distant outside, don't worry, <laughs> on Saturday night. And they moved back to LA from San Francisco. And they were telling me that it was really hard to find a U-Haul that worked because so many people were moving out of California and then not coming back with U-Hauls. So U-Haul supply was all going to other parts of the country and not coming back to, to California. And so it's interesting. I mean, it's this exodus from high cost, dense cities and towards areas where it's more spread out. And that's facilitated by the work from home economy. I think that's why Zillow is seeing some crazy numbers. 9.6 billion visits in the course of one year for in Sweden also like I think this housing prices are are on an upward trajectory. So they've recovered fully. So I think it's the same, very high demand for housing way outside the cities. People want somewhere where they can relax, enjoy, take a walk. And that's a general trend around the world. And that's why companies need to really rethink where are we hiring people from, where they, I mean, they don't, you don't need to be in the same city where you work at. You can be working away at home in a mountainous area and enjoying your Norwegian, call it the frisk luft. So you're enjoying your nice weather at the same time as you enjoy your work. So I think yeah. that's, that's an important trend as you call it, as I think Zillow call it the great reshuffling in housing demand. And by the way, this is another area of supply constraint within the economy and, you know, the economy finding a way to find equilibrium within a supply constrained environment. So, you know, if it's harder to build in California because it's land constrained, people are moving to other places where it's not. The same things will happen in the industrial economy, semiconductors and stuff. People will find substitutes. There'll be more capacity built. Something I noticed uh, just within the housing environment is also one of the quotes was about swimming pool demand being so high that they actually, for the whole whole of this year, I think there is enough demand they need to meet. So the the backlog in terms of uh, pool demand is so high right now pockets of spaces within the housing market where you see like supply is way below demand. And that those are not areas that you can quickly just scale up. It needs time, just like in the semiconductor industry to kind of play out so that you can even out the supply and demand. Yeah. That guy's super colorful, the CEO at Pool Corp. I think he said, if you were able to hire Michelangelo to paint a picture of the perfect quarter, it would look like ours. (laughs) Very... (laughs) Very flowery. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's interesting within the industrial economy in terms of the capacity stuff, the problem is always if you overbuild capacity for a short-term thing and then the economy, you know, moves the other direction on you again. So like with this COVID stuff, if people decide once once restrictions are lifted that they want to live in cities again, and we've built a lot of capacity for more suburban lifestyles, then again, you'll have recessions in these industries that were servicing more suburban type of, of living and work from home type of living. But the key question I think over the next five years is to what extent does suburbanization and work from home persist? And I think Zillow had another good quote on that too, which was that companies are going to have to realize that if they want to compete for the best talent, they're going to have to allow the talent to have flexibility because, you know, great people don't necessarily want to be confined to single locations. Like, oh, yeah. work in Hawaii, why not? I want to emphasize what you said about expanding manufacturing a bit too fast. So that's one of the reasons why the semiconductor industry is having a bit of a, a backlog on that area because the the fabrication plants take a long time to build and by the time you build it maybe the demand has actually shifted downward so then you don't want to be caught up having holding this huge manufacturing plant and not knowing what to do with it for the future 
So is there anything else you wanted to pick us up or is that all for today? You know, I think the wisdom nugget from Tim Cook that you picked up, just talking about never discount the amount of innovation that can be in the future. We've got things going on in our labs that are mind blowing. I love that just because Tim Cook obviously has better information than the rest of us do on like leading edge consumer electronics. So even though it's a bit of a marketing quote, it's fun to imagine what could be happening behind Apple's closed doors and what we'll all benefit from over the next decade. So. I think that's a nice place to finish that. The context is I was talking about the fitness move uh, by Apple. So I think they must be having something in the works as regard fitness to watch out for. So I think at that we can finish for this week. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's always a pleasure having a conversation like this over the course that we did yesterday. So always reach us at admin at theweeklytranscript.com and drop us a message and tell us what you think. And we can always read your comments, your feedback. Thank you for this week.